Well, good morning, dear friends. It's great to be with you again this Sunday and to be in the scriptures together. Um, We are continuing our series this Sunday on new wine worship. And I think what we really sought to get at last week is that a helpful and healthy worship culture in our church should first and foremost glorify Christ should reveal Jesus, right? Even in our songs, the content of our songs should show both accurately and beautifully who Jesus is, right? And then what that does is it invites our hearts into faith. We see who Jesus is and we're compelled to put our trust into Jesus afresh in the context of whatever we're bringing with us from our week. Because your week comes with you, doesn't it? Doesn't your week come with you into church on Sunday? Could be heaviness, could be discouragement, could be fears, could be guilt, whatever it is. But also, the week ahead is kind of looming, isn't it? So you have the week behind and the week ahead. So from that place, we're hearing about Jesus And it's inviting us, compelling us to have faith in Him. What that should then do is it shepherds our thoughts and our emotions out of the darkness and into the light of of how good Jesus is. Isn't that what good worship does? It's like a shepherd for your feelings, your inner parts, to then trust in Jesus. That's the goal. So, as we come to this new text today, what we're going to see is that the presence of Jesus also redeems and restores our voice. That Jesus helps us find our voice in worship. So, here's a question I have for you first. Are you excited to open the scriptures together? Are you stoked for that? This should be a fun moment of like, okay, okay, enough talking. Let's get into it. Okay, so turn in your Bibles there to Matthew 9 if you're not already. Again, you've heard me say this before. We have it on screen, but it's so valuable to have your physical Bible with you, making notes, doing underlines. Um, It's a bit of a legacy you're creating even for yourself and for your kids to have these like chicken scratch revelations of who Jesus is in your Bibles, um, I just think it's a beautiful thing. Okay, verse 32. So here sets our stage. Jesus is moving on from whichever town he's in at this point. And he's going away. And behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. So another story here of like family or friends bringing somebody to Jesus. And it's almost like at this point, it's like we got to get to Jesus before it's too late. Right? Jesus has been in this region, whatever this community is, for a little while, and they haven't been able to get this friend or family member to Jesus. Maybe he was stuck at the back of the line. Maybe the crowds were too big. We don't know. But this is like their moment to go, we got to make sure we get him to Jesus. Okay? And so what Matthew tells us is that this man is specifically, though, oppressed by an evil spirit. Now, 
months ago now, we looked at Matthew's differentiation between oppression and possession. Okay, that Matthew uses both kinds of language to describe the evil influence and presence of spirits of darkness in people's lives. Okay? What Matthew communicates here, though, is that this man is being oppressed or being dominated by a spiritual force that's mistreating his spiritual life, his invisible life, his internal life. So much so, this spiritual oppression results in physical limitations. It's worth noting that the spiritual impact of things shows itself physically. Specifically, in this man's case, it's impacting his ability to speak. So his heart has been so overwhelmed by dark beliefs. We don't know if they're self-limiting beliefs or whether these beliefs are around his value, whether or not he belongs. But there's so much internal noise and turmoil. And all of these things, if you think about like a self-limiting belief, I can never do this. I shouldn't do this. People don't care about me. People don't value me. I'm not even going to try to speak. Think of if you're just to pretend for a moment. All the things that would keep him from speaking, all of them actually, in some way or other, if you go deeper, you find that they're all beliefs about God. I can't do this means God doesn't allow me to do this or help me to do this. I'm not valued by others is a statement deeper down you get to God doesn't value me. Behind every limiting oppressive belief, you'll actually find at its root is a misunderstanding about the nature and character and goodness of God. So, But what we see here is that his body, to use the language of one of the pastors I love, his body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. His body is communicating that something's wrong in his spiritual being, in his inner life. And it's communicating a muteness, that he has no voice. If you think about what that would feel like, he has these beliefs, but then there's emotions that are flooded with grief and despair and hopelessness, thoughts filled with terrible projections of what could be. So much noise that there's literally no room inside of him for his own voice. This is the goal of evil. To dominate humanity, control humanity, and silence humanity. To cut us off from our own self, to cut us off from others, and to cut us off from God. All of this, what it results in, is it robs God of worship. This man's inability to be fully himself, his true self, robs God of worship. And I think it makes me ask the questions of myself, and I think of others. Can you say the things closest to your heart? I mean, if you're to think about your innermost thoughts and desires and love, the feelings you have towards others, can you say them? I think Canada is somewhere in the middle of the road in terms of human expression. 
lots of different cultures in the world, different extremes. We're kind of this like quiet middle. We can, don't always, <laughs> have things we want to share, but we don't, we don't have to. But whatever kind of background you come from, I think it's a helpful question to ask. Can I share, can I say the things most important to me? Or do I just hold them in? It makes me think of the joke where the, the, the guy, the, the wife asks the husband, why don't you say I love you? He says, well, I said it on our wedding day and I didn't think I needed to say anything until it changed. That's not a healthy expression of love, is it? I said it once, and I'll let you know if it changes. No, I think humanity craves for a love that expresses a love that communicates, a love that's open. And so I think it begs the question, not only can you express your heart to those you love most, to others, but can you express your heart to God? I think it's really a question of vulnerability. What keeps us from saying the things that we feel deep down? We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be too vulnerable. We don't want to put ourselves out there further than the other person. Right? And oftentimes, maybe it's because of hurt, we go, until you show something, I won't. Isn't that what we often do? I've shown too much and you've shown me too little, so we pull it back. So when it comes to our worship, I think this is something that I commonly see in the church, is we just get pent up. We love God, and we want to express our love to God. But we have all of these hesitations where we get blocked up. All these limiting thoughts where we think, he knows my heart, so I don't need to say anything. Right? God searches our hearts. We use some theological language to kind of get us out of it. Or we might think of others. Nobody wants to hear me saying, I know I don't. Right? Or it's going to be shut down, or there's no room, or there's no space for me here. Whatever the limiting beliefs are, we tend to pent up, hold it in to our detriment and to the detriment of our worship. Now, biblically, when we look at all the different reasons we might struggle to worship, they're all heart issues. The first and primary reason that keeps us from worship is that our heart has been given to other loves. The scriptures talk about this like idolatry. We don't worship the true God because we're busy worshiping all these other things that promise us help, promise us fulfillment, promise us salvation, and change and transfer happiness. And so we love them and we sacrifice for them, but they're false gods, so they fail us miserably. Right? Make an idol of money, love it, and see if it fulfills. It won't. Love sex, make an idol out of it, see if it makes you feel okay. It won't. It won't meet the deepest need. So anything in this world other than God that you pour your love into and make God and make your source of salvation and make your source of happiness, it will disappoint you. Kids, parenting, 
That's a guarantee, that one. Right? But that's common. Right? When, and, and this is what I see, the trajectory of people that they go on is they go, my single life is not fulfilling. I need to get married or be in a relationship. A few years go by, that's not quite hitting the mark anymore. He doesn't love me like he used to. It's, it's time for us to have kids. And the kids, that'll fulfill me. That'll make me feel better. Where they're disappointed. Right? Because they're not meant to fulfill that. They're not meant to give me my sense of identity. They're not meant to be my soul source. They're meant to be their own person. Right? So anything that we make God the source of our identity and our fulfillment and our salvation, it's going to disappoint us. Because only God can do that. Just to be absolutely clear, I'm not saying you're a disappointment to me. Okay, I'm not saying that. Okay. But an idolatrous heart, Scripture kind of describes it as a fatty heart. It's so full of fat of consuming things it can't feel anything anymore. Now the second most common thing that we see that hurts our worship is that our heart believes, I don't know what I wrote here. Oh, I see. Our heart believes it needs to only say what is necessary in order to remain in complete control at all times. So let me say that again. So this idea that we can't express because we don't want to lose control. We don't want to say more than we meant to, so we try and hold it all in. This is what Scripture describes as like a hard heart. It's like, let's shut it all down and suppress it because we don't want to lose control. It's kind of a self-righteousness. And we all, when we start worrying about others, these are the things we do to the heart. We shut it down and go, just be quiet. Just sing the song quietly to yourself. Don't get too involved and make a scene. I think the last thing is that our hearts just get overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by evil in this world. Overwhelmed by the brokenness. This idea of what Scripture calls a broken heart. Is that there's so much hurting. And there's so much to think about. And there's so much to feel. I can't focus in on Jesus. To think about Him. To feel about Him to worship and enjoy Him because I'm just so overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world. These are the types of things that block us up. And then we say stuff like, I just wasn't into it today. Those music choices, those song choices, they just weren't my thing. And we can stay separate from it, removed from it, holding our heart back from true worship. So what's the solution to this kind of bondage? What we see in verse 33 is it's the redeeming presence of Jesus. It says, And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. So imagine what's going on in the heart of this man. He's seen Jesus, but cannot express his heart or his need to him. Imagine what he was communicating in his eyes as he looks at Jesus with longing and desperation. And then notice something, how Matthew chooses to capture Jesus in this story. 
In many of the previous stories, Matthew says, with a word, Jesus healed. Or with a word, Jesus cast out the demon. Right? We've looked at that multiple times. But now in this text, Matthew says nothing about what Jesus is saying. In this story, Matthew chooses to show Jesus is almost silent. Let's move on from what Jesus did. Because he wants you to see what happens just because of Jesus' presence. Because Jesus banishes the voice of the enemy. And this is the thing. All the negative thoughts, all the dark feelings, all the discouragement and despair, all the noise that is shutting this guy up in his head and suppressing his heart is suddenly just gone. Because he's in the presence of Jesus. Isn't that what we want for church? To be like all the noise that I've been dealing with, but then if I can just get there, this silencing of it all because of the presence of Jesus. I need a reprieve. I need a break. I need to stop thinking the same cyclical things over and over and over again. How am I going to change this? How am I going to fix this? What's going to, you know, Intervene in this world. Housing's bad. Groceries are expensive. My heart hurts from the past. All of this noise. Silence. Because Jesus. Because he's here. Isn't church meant to be the great reprieve from all of that noise? And then in that silence comes a voice. And it's not the voice that we would necessarily assume is going to happen. What's the voice that comes up in this story in that silence? It's the man's voice. The mute man speaks. I think this shows how important the voice is of faith. I want you to hear Romans 10 8 to 11. Just close your eyes for a second and listen to it. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So think about that for a moment. Faith has to speak. Faith has to say, I hear the truth about Jesus. My heart wants to trust in it. And then the mouth has to say it. The mouth has to own it. The mouth must respond in worship. This is the right natural response. Isn't it? Think of how Jesus talks about it. From the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. So true faith 
true beholding of Jesus, receiving of the saving power of Jesus, should naturally respond with the voice of faith, of worship, shouldn't it? Because the suppressed state is unsure about Jesus. The suppressed state is being overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world. Their own sinfulness, their guilt, their shame, their fear of the future. But a heart that lays hold of Jesus, there should be a silence that's created where the enemy's voice is banished. And from that small space, you speak and say, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. I hope in Jesus. You are faithful. All these words that we have in our songs are not just poetically lovely and therapeutically nice to hear. These are the things we cling to in the darkest moments, aren't they? And when we say it, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Isn't that just the heart that goes, I know, I know who you are, I know what you've done for me, and I know what I hold on to in this dark moment. Isn't that the simplicity of it? And it has to say it. Because we believe it. And I would challenge you, honestly, Christian maturity looks like being able to say the things you feel most deeply to those you most care about. And Christian maturity looks like being able to say the things that you believe most theologically and doctrinally and historically about the faith to be able to say it as though they are your own. Because they are. Right? It's not enough to just be able to memorize theological doctrinal positions. It's not enough to say, I'm in a committed relationship. They know I love them. It's not enough. Christian maturity has to speak. Has to fumble through the words. Has to sing, and this is why I say this, poorly. Or beautifully, it doesn't matter. But it has to be done. It has to be said. It has to be expressed. Doesn't it? And this is what we see. That in the presence of Jesus, the man finds his voice finally. Jesus resurrects it. Gives it space and value and dignity. That in the presence of Jesus, he goes, I am safe to speak. I must speak. I can speak. And these are some of the beliefs I think we have to start to actually see it and hold to it to go, it's not appropriate that I stay stuffed up. Because of Jesus, I can speak. I have to speak. I must speak. Now here's the interesting outcome. Verse 33, the second half of the verse. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. So here, those around them are going, 
This is spectacular for obvious reasons. Obviously, a mute man being healed and suddenly able to speak has not happened. This is a new thing that's taking place. But it's essential that it takes place. And when he does so, everyone around him sees the value of it. And here's what I think, is that somehow it's become popularized for Christians to have this strong voice about all of these issues that do not pertain explicitly to Jesus. And when it comes to the actual specific glories and goodness of Jesus, are absolutely silenced into privatization. Wild to me. So we're meant to find our voice in Christ. So hear me on this. We're meant to be public with our love and trust in and confidence in Jesus. But it has to be for the right things. Our voice has to be used for the right things. So I want you to see how wrong it is, how sinful it is to take the restored voice of the person saved by Jesus, restored in Jesus, and then to just co-opt that voice into some political cause or polarization. It makes me sick. Because here's this most intimate place of I trust in Jesus being politicized and used for some political gain that doesn't even result in the good of the world. It's just a game. So if the church's voice is to be restored, it should be restored to the right things, should it not? And it should be their love and enjoyment of Christ. I mean that, primarily. That's what it should be used for. It should be clearly about worship, most clearly about our worship. Then, based on the teachings of Jesus, it should be the cause of the poor. Right? And the broken. And it should be about sharing our hope and our trust in Christ in order to compel others to receive His saving power for their greatest needs. Right? Or is it to serve a specific voting block? It's not. So that's... I just had, I had to say that. Because if we're going to foster the return of the voice of the church, it has to be used according to the cause of Jesus. And not empire. Because when it comes out, here was my greatest need, this is the Jesus I found, and He works for my greatest need. That should be our message, right? That should be our songs, right? When that is heard by the world, it should cause them to marvel. Jesus actually works. Jesus actually helps. Jesus did that for you. You hear it? That is what the voice of the church should be saying. Anything else other than that should be put off in order to prioritize the truth about Jesus. And as we do so, this truth fills our emotions, fills our thoughts, and then here's what we see. What we often want is we want 
to worship Jesus and we want to see him change our situation. But the work of what Jesus is doing, like we primarily want God to intervene in our situations. Things are hard, God changed the situation. But what we fail to see is that Jesus' miraculous intervention is always directed, first and foremost, at you. So you look at your situation and go, this situation is terrible, God intervene. And he says, yes, I've been waiting for you to ask. Let's start with you. And then we go, well, not me. And then we walk away and we tell others, God just hasn't intervened and is so frustrating. He doesn't hear my prayers. Right? But Jesus is saying, let's start in your heart. We'll start on the inside and work our way out. Think of the Paul and Silas story in the Philippian prison in Acts 16. Right? That was our reading today. Think of that. So they're imprisoned for their faith. Things are looking quite dire. They're about to likely be executed. And so they're sitting in the prison and they turn to each other and they start to sing. They start to sing a hymn while locked up in an ancient prison. And so what happens in that moment? They're holding to the truth of Jesus. That's filling their emotions and forming their thoughts. That's a miracle. Isn't it? If you were to put someone in a prison and go, think happy thoughts. You'd probably, that seems to be a little bit of an unfair expectation. Doesn't it? Because the situation is not very happy. So we see an inner miracle that then translates to what happens in their situation. Outward outward change. It says the the prison is shaken by an earthquake and the doors fly open and the prisoners are about to flee. In that story, we actually see their worship impacts the situation and then the jailer, thinking everyone's run away, is about to kill himself, fall on his sword. Instead, Paul and Silas stop him, lead him to the hope they found in Christ. Him and his whole household are baptized. Isn't that a beautiful story? It's like a perfect example of this. This has never been seen before, and it's seen in the voice of praise of the worship of his people. Now, it doesn't always change the situation we think the way we would like, right? There's other times where Paul holds to his confidence in Christ and trust and ends up in a shipwreck. It's a bad thing still happens. But I think for us to be able to see this. Now, I've got to wrap this up because I'm cooking. Verse 34, here's where it goes. So they're astounded by all of this. And then the Pharisees see it. And they say, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Now, this is a common theme, which we'll see more and more in Matthew's gospel as we move on in the 10 years to come. But the religious leaders are so beholden to their control and their system that they call the good work of Jesus evil. Isn't that brutal? Imagine seeing a a mute man speak and going, evil. Isn't that wild? I think, really, though, at its heart, it's jealousy. 
That's actually what I think. I think it's jealousy. Because I think the way they're thinking is, if it was truly God who healed this man, God would have done it through us. Because we're the devout. We took this faith seriously. We've been working hard at this. Right? We deserve it. If God was going to do something like this, he'd do it through us. This must be evil. See how the human heart kind of twists things? And they completely discount the beauty of Jesus and what's happening in the life of this man because of what? Their insecurity. Now, here's... I made a list. I'm running out of time, but I really want to go through this list. I made a list this morning of all the things I've heard called demonic when it comes to church and worship. You want to hear my list? You want to stick around for it? Okay, here's, the first, here's one of the first, the first one I wrote. On, I've heard somebody call liturgy demonic because it's confining people. You know what else I've heard called demonic? Drums. Drums are demonic. You know what else I've heard called demonic? This is like a stand-up joke, this whole thing. Vestments. Hey, robes, stoles. I've heard those called demonic. Just religious demonic control. You know what else I've heard called demonic? Hats. <laughs> Wearing your hat in church. You know what else I've heard? Suits. Wearing a full suit, because that's just formalistic. It's religious. You know what else I've heard is demonic? Denim. Should never wear jeans in church. Jesus can't come if there's jeans in church. Electric guitars? Well, we know that. Pipe organs. I heard somebody call pipe organs demonic. Raising of hands. Can't have that. Not raising of hands. Can't have that either. Pre-written prayers. Those are demonic. Because it's not coming from the person. Extemporaneous prayers. People coming up with prayers as they go. That's demonic. That's too crazy. I've heard prophecy is demonic in the church. I've heard no prophecy is demonic in the church. Tongues in the church. Not enough tongues in the church. Dancing. That's demonic. And kneeling. That's demonic because people should stand in their forgiveness. This is how I hear people talk about this stuff. I've heard weekly communion called evil. That was a stretch, I thought. Praying for healings. That's demonic. Clerical callers or calling them father. That's demonic. Women speaking. Demonic. Children crying. Demonic. Coffee in the sanctuary, demonic. Should I keep going? It's a long list. I thought, I'll put a few things, and then it just kept coming. Hill songs and Bethel music, demonic. Anglicanism and evangelicalism, demonic. Women wearing pants. Women wearing dresses. Women wearing makeup. Women not wearing enough makeup. Okay, but that was a joke. I've never heard that one. 
I've been called full of the demonic for having long hair, for untucking my shirt, for not having shiny enough dress shoes, and for having a beard. People will find anything to call demonic, won't they? But here's the deal. Anything that's just trying to control it all and stifle the voice of worship coming out of the church is really, potentially, demonic. Because that's what we see in this text. The real work of the demonic is to oppress the person and to be overwhelmed by their own dark thoughts and feelings and fears and vulnerability and not speak, not worship, not participate in the great glorious work that Christ is doing. So what do we want in the church? We want people to authentically meet with Jesus and find their voice in worship. Don't we? And that there's things that we'll do, music that we'll grow in, songs that will be written, and musicians that will step forward, and musical instruments that will be used. All of it is just to serve that purpose. The real people encounter the real Jesus and find authentic worship. Do we really got to overcomplicate the thing? Viewing everything as a potential danger. I think it lacks a confidence in Jesus. So all in all, I think this is where it takes us. Theological truth, ancient traditions, and current expressions of music should all aid the church of today to find its voice in worship. Shouldn't it? To see Jesus, let their hearts be redeemed from oppression, and find your voice in Him. Amen? Let's turn our hearts to the table.